I don't believe that it's possible to end sexual, domestic, or any form of violence as long as we have inequities. You know, as long as we can, like, other people make them less than, as long as we're not able to value the richness that comes from diversity or from difference, then we aren't able to create a world free from violence where everybody's, the dignity of every person is valued and respected. Hello, beautiful people. This is Bambi Salcedo. And I am Maria Roman. We're greeting you and sending you so much love and appreciation. And welcome to our show, The Fearless. We want to acknowledge the land where we stand on today and the land wherever you may be. We are greeting you from Tongva Land in Los Angeles. And this time that we're together, we want to invite the four elements that ignite our being. We hope that our conversation sparks the fire that we all have within and that inflames all of our listeners to understand and to also take action. We hope that the water will help our conversation and thoughts to flow freely. We hope that the winds inspire all of us to deliver the message that our people need to listen today and that continues to provide the strength that we all need to continue to move forward. And I would like to call upon Mother Earth, who continues to provide for all of us to exist. We invoke the spirits of our ancestors to guide us and to give us the strength, intelligence, and tenacity to continue to move forward in this world. So today I have such an honor and a privilege to have a beautiful and amazing, not just sister in the struggle, but una guerrera, super amazing and fabulous. And that is our sibling, Sandra Enriquez. Sandra is the current chief executive office of Valor. She has led Valor since 2010, helping to elevate the profile of sexual violence and the work of rape crisis centers and programs throughout the state and our nation. Ms. Enriquez has evoked and worked in the movement to end sexual and domestic violence since 1985. She not only is a fierce woman, but she is also an academic who has a master's degree in business administration. Sandra, welcome to The Fearless. Thank you, Bambi. Thank you, Maria. It's my pleasure to be here with you all today. So, Sandra, you know, just to spark the conversation, tell us about you. Well, uh, I was born in, in Ecuador, in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and uh, my family and I immigrated here when I was a young child. And so I pretty much grew up in Los Angeles. I specifically grew up in Hollywood um, with three siblings And uh, when I was the second to last child, as immigrants here, my family faced a lot of discrimination and many adversities. We, you know, we were poor. And I just want to say that one of the things that I feel really honored about in terms of joining you on this podcast is really because your podcast is called Fearless. And the word fearless is actually one of the values that our organization Valor has. And it's one that I felt so strongly about because I feel like it resonates a lot with me and just with a lot of the experiences in my life and who I became and have become. Because I think that, you know, the things that happen when you're an immigrant in this country and the challenges that you experience leaving another country and coming here and 
not always being accepted, they really call for you to become fearless. And so that's why for me, that really resonated. It doesn't mean that I'm not afraid. I think for many of us, we all know that we're afraid sometimes and we experience fear. But for me, it has a lot to do with what we, what do we do with that, right? When we, when we experience that, seeing so many injustices, you know, growing up, you know, my dad used to go to the school and make a big scene in his broken English because his, you know, the way he would say it, you know, I don't want you discriminating against my children's, you know, I think that those things really taught me to just have such a dislike for injustice, injustices. And that's where for me, I feel like the word fearless is so important. Tell us about your body of work. I know that you've done a lot of work specifically for communities who have been underserved. You know, interestingly, I started this work when I was 20 years old. And I so I kind of stumbled upon it. And I feel like what was first really interesting to me was that I started to find my voice and to say, you know what, these kinds of behaviors, violence, it's not okay. And I don't have to live that way, or other people don't have to live that way. And having the opportunity to, you know, just being trained as a peer advocate to talk to survivors and to support them through the the process. Very early on, for me, a couple of interests came, kind of came together. And one was really my, the resonance I felt and the love and respect that I felt and feel for people that are immigrants that have immigrated to this country. And so really early on, I began tailoring my work or really kind of focusing on people in the Latino community, working with a lot of Latina survivors. You know, again, I think that my being a first generation Latina in this country was really the catalyst for that passion for me to begin my work there. So when I was young, I was still believing, I was in my 20s for sure, when I um, participated in, I don't know how I got myself in there, but I inserted myself into a delegation. It was a delegation that looked at violence that was occurring along the Mexico-US border. And so I was the only one there looking at issues of abuse around, you know, sexual abuse that was unfortunately was and continues to be rampant. We know that, right? And that felt very gratifying for me to to do not all, to to bring together two issues that were so important to me. The issues around sexual or domestic violence, but also looking specifically at our communities. Um, shortly after that, I started really focusing on, because so many of the survivors that I was working with, since I was one of the only ones at that time that spoke Spanish at the local agency that I worked for in Los Angeles, I started focusing on the uh, cross-reporting that was happening between law enforcement, specifically the Los Angeles Police Department, and INS, and how it was really, um, they were not supposed to be cross-reporting, but they were. And survivors were being deported and afraid to come forward. So made them even more vulnerable. That work eventually was uh, published in the Hastings Women's Law Journal. So that that's there. But that was from way back when in the, I think it was, that was probably the early 90s. Um, but, you know, I just feel like I've always gravitated towards lifting up the experiences and the voices of those 
who are traditionally overlooked, right? The people, the, the, the communities and people that aren't traditionally thought of, right? That, that, you know, so that's always felt so gratifying for me. And I've always felt such a strong sense of responsibility that if I have a voice or a reach that I feel not only a responsibility, but I feel like a desire and a need to lift up and bring those experiences, voices, and those individuals to the table, right? Let's take a look at that. So I feel like my work has always been like, I didn't know, I didn't even know those words back then, but it has always been intersectional. Like I didn't know that term back then, but it was about my own experiences and the experiences of the people that I love and around me. And so many of those that I began to work with that I felt such a need that this is like, this is my calling is to do the work, to bring out, you know, the experience of our communities. You know, then of course I moved on to say, well, wait a minute, a lot of people that are incarcerated, they're experiencing abuse and nobody cares about them. Right. And, and people even think that, well, they committed a crime. So, you know, that's what happens, you know, that they, for some reason, there's a belief that then that justifies sexual abuse that occurs. And so that always felt wrong. And, um, so, you know, the organization that I'm with, we took that issue on. And then by extension, I was like, well, hold on a minute. What about what's happening in the immigration detention facilities? What about these individuals who we know experience sexual abuse, you know, many times in their countries, and that's why they're leaving and and other forms of violence, war and domestic violence, all kinds of things. And then in route here, they experience to this country abuse. And then when they get here, you know, their employers and all kinds of people know that or believe that they can be taken advantage of. So it's multiple incidents of abuse and then ending up in detention. And it happens there as well. And so I was like, I don't believe that these facilities should exist, period. However, since they do, I was like, we have to do something and we have to help lift up their rights and ensure that their rights are respected um, while they're there. And so, you know, that kind of work just um, always like it's always been what's always called me the most is to is to center in our work, the experiences of those who are marginalized. So leaders of color in our movement who are so underrepresented in positions of executive leadership. And we know that that results in our communities not being served adequately in the way that they should be. So it's like, why is it that there aren't more of us in executive positions? And it's not just by accident. We know that that's intentional. And so it's like, well, we need to, um, again, my passion and my desire is to like, let's help take down the barriers that are used and the, the excuses that are used for why there are not more leaders of color in executive positions. Let's help get rid of those so that there is no reason so that we can be in there saying what our communities need and what's most important for that, for our communities. So, you know, just trying to, you know, have partnerships, you know, it's part of why Bambi and I have worked together, our organizations trying to lift up and amplify at the national level, the needs of, you know, 
of the trans community, of LGBTQ communities, and ensuring that it's not just uh, mainstream organizations, but that those services are culturally appropriate and led by those that are, are impacted. And You mentioned INS. Uh, so INS, for those of you who don't know, is what, are, what now is called ICE. So before it was Immigration and Naturalization Services. So now it's Immigration and Custom Enforcement, or ICE. What I want to ask you is, what have been some of the challenges, even as a Latina, as someone who is an executive, and someone who is accomplished, right? I know that there has been challenges, even within the system. What have been some of those challenges that you have encountered that have made you say, like, no, I'm going to continue to push? There have been a lot of challenges. There have been a lot of moments that have been very painful that I've been I've asked, you know, is this the right place for me? Because they're painful. I'm not one to let people see that, you know, I get through it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And I think probably a theme that most things can fall under is just that I think my style is different. My interests are different than what many kind of traditional or maybe more mainstream leaders would be. And so what feels essential to me, important to me, may go against uh, the status quo and what has been accepted. Everything that I've experienced in my life that has made me who I am, and, and I'm proud of who I am because I'm glad that I didn't forget like where I came from and what my people and many other people who are forgotten and overlooked and not cared about, that I don't forget what they go through every day. So that's like my passion. And, and that I feel that it threatens people and it makes people mad because it means if we're going to lift up these other communities and try and make things more equitable, that means that others who have traditionally had have to give up some of that. And so I think that makes people angry and it makes them dislike. And so I I have experienced a lot of hostility in my role, both as a leader in the state and in the nation, too many times to count. And, you know, again, that's why I, I love that word fearless, because it doesn't mean that I'm not afraid. It doesn't mean that I'm not hurt. It doesn't mean that I may not go home and cry. It just means that it, it actually kind of gives me even more strength to say, this isn't right. But this has been my thought in the past. If I leave right now, then it's going to be hard for someone else. It might be harder for someone else because they're going to have to learn this whole thing and it takes years. And so I just need to suck it up and do it and get, get through it, right? And, and then I feel so gratified when we come out on the other end you know, I think with everything you said, is there specific misconceptions about you that you think the world has? Well, I don't know. Sometimes people have said I was, I'm arrogant. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm arrogant. I'm just kind of tenacious. And when I believe something has to be done, then I'm going to do it. And so if that comes across as arrogant to you, I'm sorry, or, you know, whatever, full of yourself, full of myself. I'm, I'm just like, this is what needs to happen. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it done with the people that I need to bring in. To, we need to do it together 
or if somebody reached out to me, I'm going to get it. I'm going to be all in. Right. And so sometimes, you know, people don't see your, like your humanity and your, you know, that you still just do it because you're so committed to the world being a better place. And I know that this work is not easy, right? In fact, this is taxing on our bodies and our minds and even our, our might sometimes. But what are some of the things that you do to take care of yourself, to nurture yourself, to empower yourself, to tell yourself, you know, keep on pushing? Well, um, I think first of all, you know, I'm a woman of faith. I wasn't always, but I, well, maybe five years ago or so, I really began to really look at, I think, a deeper relationship with God. And so that has strengthened me in a lot of moments that are difficult. I know that I'm going to get through it. And I, and I know that I'm not alone, you know, in that. And so I think that's been super important for me. Before that, I think I had a lot more moments of feeling kind of alone. So that's been great. And then I think other than that, I'm like really <laughs> have a very, very busy schedule. But what I like to do is um, when I can, I love to travel. I'd like to go out of the country. Usually I go to Latin America, different parts of Latin America and get away for one or two weeks. And that's so rejuvenating for me. I feel restored when I come back and I love that. And so that's the other thing. And then, you know, I like to shop. <laughs> I like to shop. So that was the, both of those last two were hard during the pandemic, but you know, <laughs> yeah. And actually one other thing I love to do is I um, love old homes and I love to kind of restore and bring things back to how they originally were. So that's kind of a hobby that I, that I love to do. So I have an old home and I, and I work on it and fix it. If you can have a conversation with your 10-year-old self, what advice would you tell yourself? Or what would your message be for that young 10-year spirit? You know, things in life aren't always easy, but if you really believe in something and it's right, do it and surround yourself by the people that love you and will help you to do what you think you need to do. I would I would want people to believe that. I don't know if we can do anything in in life that we want, but we can do a lot of things and we just need to kind of stick it out and and know that we can have lots of those things. We don't always have them all at one time, but we can have them. We can get there. We can work towards and so that's what I would say is just don't give up. Keep trying if you believe in something. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I do want to ask you also, what do you think needs to be done for all of us to have a better world? Mm. Well, um, <clears throat> I think a few things. I think that um, I'd love to see us have more of a focus on prevention. I think that it's important that we not see sexual or domestic violence or other forms of violence for that uh, matter as inevitable. I think as long as we see violence as something that just happens, then we can't really set an expectation that it needs to change. And um, we have to stop normalizing violence. You know, we're like, well, it happens. Well, it shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't be normal. And we have to really change our thinking about that. 
And I think that as communities and as a society, we have to become intolerant of violence. You know, people are intolerant about a lot of things. We have to become intolerant about violence. And um, we have to understand that it's learned. And just like it's learned, it can be unlearned. You know, we have to believe that. And um, I think the other thing is that, you know, Valor's tagline is um, advancing equity, ending sexual violence. And I really love this tagline because I don't believe that it's possible to end sexual, domestic, or any form of violence as long as we have inequities. You know, as long as we can, like, other people make them less than, as long as we're not able to value the richness that comes from diversity or from difference, then we aren't able to create a world free from violence where everybody's, the dignity of every person is valued and respected. And I think that that's what's called for. We have to respect every person and see them as valuable. That's why I do really feel that equity has to be first, because I think that if we address the issue of equity, then we're going to be successful in addressing all these other kinds of injustices and other forms of violence. So by addressing that, we're going to address the others. The last thing I would like to ask you is, what would be the proudest moment that you have had in your life? If you can look at that moment, what would be a moment that you say, wow, this really was a moment that defined me? You know, there are so many because they're the personal, like when I, you know, became a mother, that's so important. You know, I'm proud to be a daughter that loves and cares for my mother. You know, I'm I'm like, I'm proud of that. Um, I think in terms of like kind of maybe work, I have had so many moments, but I would have to say, I don't know, our, our, our conference a few years ago, Bambi was there when we, you know, Bambi brought a bunch of, of people onto the stage, trans people, when we had farm workers and when we had janitors up there centering them and their experiences and having that be the norm of this national conference, that was Uh, just such a beautiful moment that I feel so proud of that we were able to bring the right people together and lift them up and their experiences. And I think they felt a lot of love from everybody there, probably 1,800 people or so. So I I don't know, that was one of the definitely highlights. Thank you, Sandra Enriquez, the CEO of Valor US. We appreciate your presence here. Ciao. Hasta luego. This is The Fearless. I am Bambi Salcedo and... Maria Roman. Nos vemos pronto. Bye, everybody. The Fearless Podcast is hosted by Bambi Salcedo and Maria Roman. We want to thank you for tuning in, for sharing space, and for learning with us today. Our hope is that we have given you a little bit of knowledge, joy, and feel inspired. And always, always, Remember to live out loud and live fearlessly. With much love and respect always. Hasta la próxima.